We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. You know, myself, Monty, we've we've been in the league a long time. We both went through that process and and, and as we talked about building the framework for our, our draft workouts, we just tried to think about the things that mattered to us or would have helped us throughout this NBA journey. So we tried to incorporate it and put these guys in spots where um, they could feel like they're getting better in our workouts. Because that's, the, the better they feel during the workouts, usually the better they perform, you get a chance to really see the complete player versus a guy that's just been doing a lot of drills for the last month. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. I am back in the United States just in time to see the U.S. national team, the women's team, win 13-0 in a soccer match. So that was great. USA, USA, of course, joining me, Sam Cooper. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mike. Hold your horses on the patriotism a little bit. Didn't, <laughs> didn't you have a little bit of a problem with customs coming back into the U.S., into America's oh, penis? <laughs> yes. Uh I recommended my girlfriend booked all the flights. She did a great job, but I recommended to her that we never fly out of Florida again or fly back into Florida. I said literally anywhere else on the East Coast, if we can avoid Florida at any cost, I would like to avoid it because uh, one, it's super humid. Two, everyone smells like a Little League dugout for some reason. I think that's a combination of the humidity and sweat. And uh, three, their airport in Fort Lauderdale, where I flew into, not the most organized place on the planet. It took us a few hours to get through customs, where every other country I visited took less than 10 minutes. (laughs) So it was a complete disaster. And I've never seen, it was like a mob mentality. There were so many people, and they were all pissed off. It was kind of weirdly 
uh, everyone felt together in a weird way because we were all mad for the same reason. Uh, and it was actually kind of almost fun at the end because everyone was like, we finally got through that and we're done with that. But yeah, I'd like to avoid uh, Florida at all costs. There were things that I started to miss from the United States. Two weeks uh, abroad, two weeks overseas in, in Europe is a long time. You know, they don't put a lot of ice in their drinks. There's a lot of choices in America. You have to pay for water everywhere you go at restaurants. And I started to miss America. And then I got to Florida and I thought, yeah, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they always do say, uh, you know, America lacks culture, but shitty airport experiences is probably something (laughs) that brings all of us together. Uh, It was it was worth it, though, right? I mean, how was how was Europe? Oh, it was incredible. I had an I had an amazing time. It was it was super, super fun. And I'm really glad I got back this week because this is the one year anniversary of this podcast. We're officially made it to a year, Sam. Yeah. I'm really happy about that. Yeah, me too, dude. It's, you know, great partnership we've had here. Um, We've added a lot of listeners over the past year. I I feel like we've accomplished a lot and we're going to keep going. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's been, it was an experiment to begin with You, you and I, of course, for those who don't know, Sam and I met on Reddit. We've actually never met in person uh we've just just done over the podcast and uh we decided to just do a podcast because we had a lot of conversations online and we thought it would be a good time to do it with the the number one pick and uh we started it last year right before the draft and 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 we're right before the draft again this year the week before the draft so soon we'll be able to uh talk about the next draft but it's been a good year. I think thank you to everyone that's listened to us. Thank you to everyone that's uh, checked out our YouTube channel. Of course, uh, followed us on Twitter. We've met a lot of great people, lots of great Suns fans in the last year, and I'm really happy that we did this. Now, we do want to talk a little bit about that YouTube channel. Sam, you've been making some great videos for that YouTube channel. You want to talk about them a little bit? Well, uh, you know, I was unemployed for a little while. Now I have a job. <laughs> uh, but in that time, <laughs> in that time, I needed something to do uh, rather than just sit around on my ass while you were away in Europe. So I've been making some free agency videos, just some scouting breakdowns for the Suns, looking at players. And so far, it's players that uh, you guys have made clear to me you're not all that interested in the Suns actually signing. <laughs> uh, it's the realistic options, the Tyus Jones, the Darren Collisons, the Patrick Beverleys of the world. We're going to cover the much bigger names uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks. Obviously, all these videos are going to come out before July 1st. Um, but yeah, I would encourage all of you guys to go and check out our YouTube channel. We currently have 483 subscribers, and without giving away exactly how many people listen to this podcast, I can comfortably tell you that a lot more people listen to this podcast than are subscribed (laughs) to that channel, which means probably a lot of you guys listening right now are not subscribed to the YouTube channel. Um, So yeah, if you don't want to miss out on the content, please go do that. We would appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. There's going to be a lot more coming out soon. I know people want to hear about uh, D'Angelo Russell. They want to hear about Malcolm Brogdon, maybe a little Ricky Rubio. Those are coming up. We're definitely... Uh, TJ McConnell, you know, yeah. On my 15-minute Corey Joseph video as we speak. <laughs> it should be fun. <laughs> Do you think anyone ever has talked about Corey Joseph for 15 minutes? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, but we, we want to be the podcast of first. <laughs> That's very true. Um, speaking of free agents, there's been... One free agent recently linked to the Suns. Now, this is a little bit of old news, so I apologize. But I was gone for two weeks, so we do want to talk about this a little bit. And that's Julius Randle was supposedly linked to the Suns. Now, the report is he's interested in coming to the Suns. And uh, supposedly there's mutual interest with the Suns as well. I can't imagine he's the number one power forward choice. 
for the Suns, although he did shoot relatively well from three this last year. He's not exactly a floor spacer, and that would be the perfect fit next to DeAndre Ayton. But it's a free agent that's not exactly a terrible player that's actually interested in the Suns, which is kind of a new thing. You haven't heard a lot of that happening before free agency's begun. A lot of Suns fans have weighed in on Julius Randle over the last few weeks. How do you feel about Julius Randle, Sam? I was going to say a lot of online conversations would have you think that Julius Randle is a terrible player. Uh, he's not. He's not a perfect fit with Phoenix. Uh, we know that. There's a lot of power forwards that I would prefer. Uh, but I wouldn't. It, it all comes down to the contract details. I wouldn't necessarily turn this guy away. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's about all I have to say. Again, this is kind of old news. Obviously, the defense with him and Aiton would be tragic. But uh, otherwise, it kind of works. What do you think about it? Well, I, I, I agree with you. I think the contract matters. But some, part of me wonders if... Free agents who, and there's been other players that talked about the Suns, Spencer Dinwiddie, who we're going to talk about later, has been sort of talking about the Suns and his interest in the Suns. Yeah. Uh, Part of me wonders if they're just like, we're looking around the league and thinking, where can I start? (laughs) And they look at the Suns and say, well, I can start for that team. And that's what makes them interested in coming to the Suns because Julius Randle... Uh, you know, he, he's, he's, he wants to be the man on some teams and he tends to be a dominant player on offense in that he dominates the ball, not that he dominates the competition, although he does, you know, he played really well against the Suns the last few years. He absolutely destroyed DeAndre Ayton when he played against him in his rookie year. And, you know, he's not a terrible player. One thing that I wonder for you, Sam, is it even possible for James Jones in this front office to actually sign players that are the perfect fit this offseason. This is going to be an insane offseason. Finding the perfect fit around DeAndre and around Devin Booker are what you want is you want three-point shooters who play defense. But do you know what every other team wants in the NBA? They want three-point shooters who play defense. That's one of the hardest things to find in the NBA at this point. Do you think it's even possible for us to find the perfect fit? I think it's hard. And I think if we're being pragmatic, there's a very good chance that we we can't do it. But at the same time, Mike, that's a defeatist attitude. You have to try. And there are a lot of guys out on the market. You know, if Julius Randle was playing a one-on-one competition against the other power forwards in this this draft class, he would probably smoke them because he would just put his back to the basket and go to work. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Al Farouk Amino is probably a better fit on the Suns. Nico Miritich is probably a better fit on the Suns. Um, Thad Young is a better fit. It's not so easy to get these guys, but it's not that hard either. Like they could conceivably choose Phoenix. Do you think if Randall were to join the Suns, do you think that he would just immediately have to shoot more threes? I just can't imagine that's something that he wants to do. But if he's choosing the Suns, he has to know that he's playing with DeAndre and he has to know that the best fit would be to shoot more threes. I, I can't imagine that he expects to be the guy that's just sort of running and, and bulldozing his way to the rim the way he's been in the past. But he did play with Anthony Davis. You know, they, they didn't play a lot of minutes together. They tended to, to stagger their minutes a little bit. Uh, so I know he has played with players similar to uh, DeAndre Ayton, although Anthony Davis, one of the most versatile big men in the NBA ever. Uh, so it's not maybe not the best comparison at this point. I just can't imagine that he expects to be that kind of player. And I just wonder what he's thinking. Yeah, well, I think it might go back to what you were talking about earlier. You know, a lot of NBA players, they're told coming into the league that they're so good constantly. Um, and, and then eventually you come to a point in your career where you have to decide, do I want to sacrifice my minutes, my money, 
um, and, and ultimately my role to be on a good team? Or would I rather just, you know, put up 20 points per game on bad teams for my entire career and make a shitload of money that way? You know, for some guys, that's the best option. And Julius Randle is kind of at that point in his career where he's just on the cusp. There's no doubt that he's a good player. Um, but, you know, does he want to play 20 minutes per game backing someone up on a 50-win team? Or does he want to play for a 25-30 win team, which Phoenix might be with him next year, uh, but make a lot more money that way and, and be out there on the court consistently? Who do you think will get more money in free agency, Julius Randle or Thaddeus Young? Um, that's tough. This is what I wonder. Randle wants more. Yeah, I mean. Randle wants more. Randle, well, okay, so Randle has a player option technically for $9 million. Has he picked that up yet? No. Okay, so he obviously wants more than $9 million. Um, I was going to say both of them probably are looking like 12 to 15, right? I would say I would give Thaddeus Young more than Julius Randle. Yeah, I would too. And that's a fit thing, right? That's a fit. Yeah, that's a fit thing because, you know, obviously Thad Young averages like 12 and 6. Uh, Julius Randle averages 21 and 8. But it's a defense thing. It's a fit thing. It's a it's a veteran coaching thing. Um, so that's that's entirely dependent on teams. There could be teams that are more starved for talent than Phoenix, although I can't think of any off the top of my head right now that might be willing to give uh, Julius Randle some more money. I would say, yeah, Thad Young, he was paid $14 million this season. I'd say that's about the going rate for him going into this offseason as well. You just want to give him a short-term contract, uh, not like a, I wouldn't be comfortable giving him a three- or four-year deal. You know, before we get to free agency, and this is a kind of a weird thing with the NBA, the draft happens. And that's a weird thing, especially for a draft like we're coming into, because this draft kind of evens out a little bit, as we're going to talk about in a second with Jonathan Wasserman from Bleacher Report. This draft kind of evens out. So it's a weird thing where you have to decide uh, what you're going to do in the draft before you know who you can get in free agency. And this is kind of, it almost encourages tampering because it encourages teams to kind of figure out what their options are before they go into the draft. Because for a team like the Suns, if you want to draft a point guard, do you want to do that? If you have a point guard coming in free agency, do you want to decide what kind of, what you're doing here? So that's going to be a really interesting thing. But let's talk about the draft first. So what you're about to hear is an interview with Jonathan Wasserman. We're really happy to have him on, especially for this one-year anniversary podcast that we have. He was very kind to join us and give us, uh, he was so generous with his time here. We had him for a while and we talk about, a lot about the draft. So take a listen to that and we'll be back afterwards to talk a little bit more about recent news. Before we get to our interview with Jonathan, I wanted to talk to you guys about Harry's razors. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door enough with the cheap razors it's totally worth trying harry's harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. harry's bought a world-class blade factory in germany that's been making quality blades for 95 years Join the 10 million who've tried Harry's and claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, then let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, 
harrys.com slash blue wire to redeem your razor for just three dollars Joining us here on the timeline is the lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report, Jonathan Wasserman. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us here on the timeline. Yep, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, really happy for uh, you to join us because obviously, as a Suns fan, the draft has been something that we've been following very closely for the past nine years since uh, we haven't really made the uh, playoffs. And in that time, we've been in the lottery, which is the title of your new podcast that has debuted on the Blue Wire Network. A really great first episode. Everyone make sure to go and listen to the lottery, the podcast. uh, Find it on any podcast app. You can listen to the first episode now where Jonathan and Cole Zwicker actually go through and mock draft the top 10. And they talk about every pick and uh, what they expect to happen in that top 10 and who they think is the best fit. So I really enjoyed that. This is a really weird draft is this one of the more unpredictable drafts that you can remember jonathan um i guess so i guess once we get to number four it really becomes uh who knows uh type of situation but i think at this point it's pretty clear well we obviously know who's going number one um in zion williamson and, and two and three um is pretty set it seems like john morant is set to go number two and, and rj barrett number three and if not they're just going to reverse uh, and Barrett goes two, and Morant goes three. But after that, yeah, it's really, um, it's really up in the air. I've said it multiple times. I think some teams could have one guy in the top ten, and another team has that same exact guy, you know, in the early second round or something like that. So uh, there's a lot of parity, and uh, it should make for one of the more unpredictable and fun drafts to watch. And do you think that lowers significantly lowers the trade value of a pick, or does it really depend on the team? Because the Suns, as you know, we have a lot of young players on the team and you know the consideration by james jones and jeff bauer anyone who's in charge with the suns is that it's going to be difficult to add more and more young pieces to this team without also adding uh, some veterans to help guide them along do you think the trade value of a pick like the sixth pick like the suns own or even the fourth pick you know with the lakers considering to make a trade do you think that value is lower than it's been in the past because of the weird unpredictability and how this draft drops off so significantly after that third pick yeah, absolutely. Um, the value of those picks, uh, Lakers at four and the Phoenix at six, listen, it makes so much sense for the Suns to try and use that pick to get a veteran. But like you said, the how unpredictable it is, there's just no level of certainty um, with what you're getting at that pick. Even though it's a high draft pick, this year, uh, I guess the, the perception is that the talent level in that middle of the, of, of the lottery isn't as high as it normally is. Uh, even if the draft is deep, or it's top-heavy with Zion at the top, there's that mid-lottery range where there's a lot of uncertainty, and you can kind of get maybe the same value at six as you can somewhere in the 20s. So it's going to make it tougher uh, to deal that pick at at number six. Uh, It'll be interesting to see who Phoenix targets and, and again, what other teams think uh, of of who they can get there. And really all it takes is one team to really love one guy, whether it's DeAndre Hunter or Jared Culver. If they really love that one guy, then it works out. But... um, Neither of those guys scream can't miss upside or can't miss prospects. So I think it's going to make it tough uh, to pull off an equal trade. Hey, John, I'd like to talk about your personal scouting philosophy just a little bit, because one of the big debates I think going on with Suns fans this year is if you envision this spectrum that prospects exist on, where on one side of the spectrum you have prospects that have great tools, but maybe didn't show much at the college level. Uh, I think of a player like Cam Reddish 
uh, who's going to be, you know, potentially in the Suns range at six. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have players maybe not with quite the same tools, but who have a great feel for the game and who are able to be very effective college players because of that. Uh, on, you know, that polar opposite, you would think of players like uh, Brandon Clark. Mm. In how, how do you approach a prospect and make sense of all of that? I mean, do you kind of lean on one side over the other or does it really depend on the particular organization that a prospect is going to? Yeah, every situation is different. I don't have any particular philosophy, any science uh, for what to overlook and what to put more stock in. I think every guy is different. Um, and you, you mentioned some of the obvious ones like Cam Reddish, who shot 37%, 39% from the field this year. Uh, but he comes out of high school and he was one of the top recruits and we've seen him for years, even before he stepped foot at Duke. And you kind of, you have to do your best to put your long-term projection goggles on. And, and sometimes that means overlooking, you know, 30 games at Duke. And so everyone, everyone is different. Um, you know, Nazir, uh, for example, Cam Reddish, I- I'm giving him a pass. But I'm not giving Nazir Little a pass uh, from North Carolina. I, I de- detected just uh, just a poor feel for the game, something that I don't think can improve as easily um, as as Reddish, um, who who just has a couple of skill issues. I think he needs to sharpen. So uh, there's no real formula for me. It's every situation takes into account different variables and and team fit and all that stuff. John, you said that it gets more unpredictable after the third pick. Who do you have as the fourth best player in this draft? I have Jared Culver at number four, but honestly, for me, the difference between Culver at four and you know DeAndre Hunter, who I have at twelve, isn't significant. Um, but Culver to me is a guy who I just I feel pretty confident in, in his floor, and that, and that's where I um, I see a lot of these guys in that four to twelve range. I, I don't see that high ceiling, but I, I value their floor. And I feel pretty confident that Culver is going to be somebody who, in a couple of years, is going to be a starting NBA two guard. Uh, he's just very well-rounded. Um, again, I'm not sure if he's ever a star, but uh, how often is the number four pick ever a star? If you probably look at the stats, it's probably not often. So uh, I just feel good about the, the low risk with a guy like Culver. I have Jackson Hayes from Texas right in that range. Hayes, another guy. Nobody I expect to ever, you know, be a, an all-star, but I feel confident that in a couple of years, Jackson Hayes, six eleven, big-time athlete, he's going to find a role as, as a rim runner and rim protector. A guy could switch defensively, shot well from the free throw line. So I'm looking at those safe plays uh, as opposed to the high upside gambles, which are just really tough to identify this year. It's just unfortunate for Phoenix being in that number six spot because. You know, they're building around Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, but they could really use another star to, to truly propel them forward, you know, into the playoffs. And we maybe just don't see that this year. One conversation you were having with Cole on your episode that I thought was really interesting. You sort of made the point that you don't want a rookie point guard like Darius Garland uh, or Kobe White just thrust into the fire in Phoenix. But then you also went on to have a conversation kind of about some of the veteran stopgap options that Phoenix might be able to bring in. Like maybe they should just go out, get a point guard uh, who's capable running the point next to Devin Booker. If the Suns keep Tyler Johnson, who we only saw a little bit of last year, but who has another year left on his contract, uh, or if they go out in free agency and grab a guy like Darren Collison or, or Patrick Beverly or Corey Joseph or, or just someone passable, mm-hmm. would that make it more palatable to you to potentially take a guy like Garland uh, or White at six and maybe play them something like 15 to 20 minutes per game, their rookie season instead of 30. Totally. And, and that's completely fine. If you take Garland there um, and, and you, that's why it's so tough with having free agency after the draft. Um, mm-hmm. But like you said, if you can get a, you know, what Orlando did with DJ Augustine, get a guy like that, 
uh, then it makes it more acceptable to take a Garland. And actually, Garland in that six man role to me, that's where that's where he's going to be the most valuable at the next level because he's a. I know he's a point guard, but he's really a scorer who happens to be a ball handler at the same time. He doesn't have that size uh, to be a traditional two guard. So I like. I, I think that's a, a good philosophy, and, and certainly um, we'll find out after the draft whether they're going to do that or not. And you know that would maybe like affect my draft grade for them if if they take Garland and I say, oh no, they just took a rookie point guard, and then we find out a month later that actually that rookie point guard is going to come off the bench and be used as a scoring spark. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I totally think it, it's acceptable. And at the end of the day, the philosophy should just be bet, draft the best player available. Um, I know I did mention that I don't think they should add a, a rookie ball handler to a run the team and B take more touches from Devin Booker. But, uh, if they think Garland is the best player available, then that, that's what they got to do and take him. A lot of Suns fans have zeroed in, on Darius Garland and Jarrett Culver. And, and there's a good chance that neither of those guys are even available at six. But do you see which which of those two players do you think is more likely to be available at six if the draft were to shake out in, in the way that you expect it to? It's really a coin flip. I, honestly, I, my last spot draft, um, I don't know if I published it yet or, or if it was the last one I put out, but Garland at four and Culver at five. So <laughs> not the uh, situation <laughs> you're looking for there. Um, and, and to me, that's how it's going to play out. I, I, if I had to make a bet, I would bet that neither would um, be there at number six. But uh, I guess, you know, I think I, I think Culver is probably the better bet to be there um, just based on conversations I've had around the league. I, I know more who are um, kind of confused as to why so many love Culver. It almost seems like draft Twitter is higher on Culver than, than NBA guys are. Um, and there's just a little more, you know, mystery and appeal to, to a guy like Garland. And uh, once those three big guys are off the board and Zion, Ja, and RJ, teams are kind of looking for to make that flash sexy play. And I think Garland could be it because he's a, a, a scoring ball handler and averaged 20 a game before going down and had that big outing in the Nike Hoop Summit. And so I, I think somebody would be willing to take that chance, um, particularly whoever picks at number four, assuming it's the Lakers. Uh, so I do think Garland goes there and, and maybe Culver's there at number six. But again, um, I think they end up going five and six in whatever order. So with Garland, no, he didn't play a lot. And obviously he has a specific skill that NBA teams want right now. And I just, I've been thinking, and this is partially because I've been reading Sprawl Ball by Kirk Goldsberry. So <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about this, this idea of the player that is capable of shooting that pull-up three and how much that's valued in, in, the, in the NBA that we see today. And I'm just wondering if you feel like that is too high for Darius Garland. And what I was thinking about is in the past, in the 90s, size was overvalued a little bit. And there was a lot of guys that were taken very high just because of the sheer size of them. And then uh, there was there was this run of Euro prospects that were taken a little too high because of guys like Dirk Nowitzki that came out in the past. I'm wondering if you see an era where uh, a guy like Darius Garland is maybe taken a little too high just because of that single skill, uh, that, that pull-up three skill, and, and guys like Damian Lillard and Steph Curry that we've seen in the past or even Trey Trey Young now that's been drafted. Do you think that's something that's going to vault these types of players maybe a little too high in the draft or do you think it's it's worthwhile to take a risk like that on guys that have that skill? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have, I have Garland at uh, number nine overall, so he wouldn't be my choice there. But first of all, you're, you're right. That pull-up jumper uh, is definitely going to help him. It, it's going to make him look a little more attractive. Um, I don't think that should be the reason to take him at number four, but 
again, it's so tough to identify who that next best player is after Barrett and Morant that uh, I think a team's going to be willing to take a chance uh, on potentially getting a, a guy like Damian Lillard. I, I know just stylistically he reminds you of Lillard, um, even though I don't think that he's anywhere the same caliber prospect. Um, I do think he's going to be overvalued, but I think it really has to do with a lot that there's just nobody at, at number four who stands out as that obvious option. And uh, and Garland had these four big games and then drops, drops the mic and, and leaves and uh, leaves on a high note and uh, creates a lot of mystery and, and intrigue. And that between that and his style of play as a scoring ball, Henry could pull up um, and, and also play off the ball as well uh, with a really, really uh, convincing shooting stroke off the catch. Um, yeah, I just I think that's going to help him. I think it makes him look like more of a sexy, attractive pick. John, have you had any conversations with executives or heard anything at all? about which way people even think the Suns are leaning at six, because this is a team that has so many holes and there are so many prospects available, uh, not to mention the fact that the kind of the regime coming in, James Jones and Monty Williams as the head coach, it's also new that uh, we're really in the fan base uh, kind of being left in the dark here. We don't have any clue, you know, what they might even do. Uh, but, you know, I'm just wondering if you've heard anything about which way they're leaning. I mean, when I was at the Combine, uh, the guys I was talking to um, – when Garland left the combine before it even started, uh, people were speculating that it was Phoenix who made the promise uh, about Garland. But then you also hear that, of course, they're looking to trade their pick um, because it makes total sense for them at this point to add a veteran to that mix. But I have no level of confidence in, in anything I've heard in terms of what, what their actual <laughs> game plan is, what their end goal is here. I think realistically the, the goal is to try and get a starting caliber star for the number six pick. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens if they, if Garland, if Garland is gone, because I do think again, Garland is going to go, I think top, I think, I think he's going to end up going number four. Um, and so if he's gone, what do they do if they can't make a deal? And then it just comes to the best player available. We'll see if they reach on a guy like Kobe white, um, who is in that conversation. He was one of the first nine players invited to the green room, which tells you that, there's a decent chance he goes top nine. Kobe White and Phoenix could certainly take a look at number six. That would be a little too high for me. But again, there's not going to be much of a difference between Kobe White and, and Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter, who I think is a really good fit in Phoenix. And if James Jones is looking for fit and a defensive-minded guy to pair next to Aiton, I think uh, Hunter stands out as a reasonable option there. So again, I, I, I've, I've talked to a bunch of guys about Phoenix I've heard different things, no level of confidence in, in, in anything. So I think we're going to, it's going to be one of those wait and see right till they're on the clock what Phoenix is going to actually do. Darius Garland gone, Jarrett Culver gone. We're going to, we're going to assume that that's likely to happen. That kind of points the ideas to maybe Cam Reddish. And you seem to be slightly higher on Cam Reddish than I, a lot of uh, draft Twitter, let's say, <laughs> are. You're giving him a pass, like you said, for uh, the underperforming season. Sort of his main skill going into it was shooting, and we didn't really see that, especially on a team that should have been able to create a lot of open threes in that Duke team with two other stars. Uh, a lot of Suns Twitter has looked at Brandon Clark, and I just want to do a comparison of these two guys. If you had to gun to your head, not that anyone would ever do that. <laughs> they might actually. If you had to bet, draft Twitter. If you had to might. bet, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you had to bet, which of these two guys would have a better career in Cam Reddish or Brandon Clark? 
which one would you place your money on? <laughs> I mean, it really depends on on where they go. I'm, I'm big on I'm fit uh, plays a role in, in development. Um, man, that is a tough question. You know, the laws of upside will tell you to easily bet on Reddish. He's but two or th- three years younger. Um, Clark's turning 23. Very rare you see a 23-year-old go that high in the draft. Uh, you know, I think we know what Clark's going to be. He's going to be that high-end energizer who makes plays without needing his number called. And uh, I-, I think he's got the higher floor than Reddish. But um, Reddish, to me, ha- is has more bustability and more upside uh, with his 3 and D uh, and then that potential to uh, – add more as a shot creator, which is what we saw in high school. He was a six, nine point wing. I mean, the comparisons were to Tracy McGrady and Paul George. That obviously didn't look like the case at Duke when he was playing behind three different guys, but uh, so young, so much room to improve. And maybe with NBA spacing, better teammates, he, he figures it out. Who would I pick? Man, I pick Reddish. I, I take my chances on him. Um, I'm more of a gambler, but at the same time, I could totally see why somebody would opt for Brandon Clark, who's just the safer pick, a guy you know what you're going to get with him, and and that's defense. And for a team like Phoenix, who needs defense, uh, but as well, they also need shooting. Tough call, tough call. I, I think they would have to take Reddish ju- just based on the uh, the the, uh, the guidebook of how to draft with, with taking younger guys. But um, again, not a high confidence level that Reddish would be the better player. Mm-hmm. I'm a much bigger fan of Brandon Clark than Cam Reddish, but I will admit, like, if you look at the teams that Cam Reddish could potentially go to, it does feel like a fit with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton makes a lot more sense for him uh, where he, you know, he's not going to be thrust into a role where he's asked to do much from day one, even though it is such a bad team. Um, John, one other thing I wanted to ask you is, do you see any other teams potentially changing up the order of things at the top? Like, for instance, I look at a team like Atlanta, they have three picks, eight, 10 and 17 in the top 20. They have six picks in the top 45. And obviously that's a team that's rebuilding. Um, but you don't need to bring in six rookies in a single season. Uh, so is that, you know, a potential situation where we may see them trying to trade up into the three, four, five range, maybe leapfrog the Suns, or are there other teams that may be making really, really strong pushes to uh, to leapfrog there that we're not talking about enough? Yeah, I think Atlanta is the obvious team to watch with, with all those picks, particularly eight and 10, and now they have 17. Um, it'll be curious to see if they look to keep one of those top 10, if they look to package both and move up for... R.J. Barrett, which I assume that conversation has to happen because Barrett makes so much sense in Atlanta as that score between Trey and John Collins. That would be interesting to see if the Knicks are willing to move back. I actually have changed course on that. I think the Knicks should be willing to uh, listen to that offer. Um, but th- but that's, th- that's the team right now to watch for with all the picks, particularly after that Brooklyn trade. There's, I'd be shocked if they make all three of those top 20 picks. Um, but yeah, I, I, otherwise I'm just completely making guesses here. Uh, on who would be willing to move up, down, out. But Atlanta is certainly team the team to watch um, in, in terms of trades. Another player that could be a potential pick for the Suns, and someone that you talked about as a potential fit with the Suns, is DeAndre Hunter. Now, for some reason, Suns Twitter has avoided talking about DeAndre Hunter. There hasn't been a lot of conversation around him and how he fits on the team. What I mean, just for, for people who haven't, uh, really watched DeAndre Hunter and haven't followed his career, how would you describe him and how would you describe his fit on the Suns? You know what? I'm surprised. I, I would think that just based on uh, Twitter, who, who sometimes people just say, okay, he plays this position. Let's plug him into this hole that we need. <laughs> uh, he makes a lot of sense, right? He's uh, 
he is a three and D power forward. And I think that would be pretty useful for a team who ranked number 29 in three-point shooting and 30 in defense, I believe. So mm-hmm. um, he's – listen, the, the knock on Hunter is that he doesn't have great upside because he's old for his age, he's going to be 22, and he's not a big shot creator. Um, but he shot 43% from downtown this year. He's always been a good free-throw shooter. He was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. He has very encouraging defensive tools that should translate six eight seven two wingspan two twenty five switches has a pretty high defensive IQ. I think you could just bank on him being a pretty good role player, a defensive minded role player who will spread the floor. Um, but there's just not that much exciting upside to his game. Not a guy you're going to give the ball to and say create a shot for me in the half court. Uh, but again, it, it, you know you have to look at the draft. You have to look who else is available, and you just to take him at number six. I don't think you can knock Phoenix because you're just not passing on any obvious guys. And I do think he does plug a hole there. He almost He's almost like a power forward version of Mikael Bridges. Um, that would probably be a, a comparison. I know they're slightly different in terms of their body shapes. Bridges more of a three, Hunter more of a four. But that's the type of guy you're looking at with Hunter, uh, another Mikael Bridges. I think, and this is just a guess, but I think the reason Sun's Twitter is so bullish on a guy like Brandon Clark and has sort of avoided the topic of DeAndre Hunter Really, it comes down to slightly different skill sets, but, you know, maybe just evaluating Clark as more of a true four and being worried about Hunter kind of in a tweener mold. The Suns, what you said about the Suns being such a bad three-point shooting team, such a bad defensive team is right. They're also, uh, they were one of the worst rebounding teams in the NBA. And they just spent, you know, the majority of last season starting TJ Warren at the four and didn't get any rebounding out of him. I think maybe that's the advantage of a guy like Clark. But of course, whatever you gain in rebounding from Clark, you lose uh, in terms of the spacing that Hunter gives you that Clark just doesn't. And trying to build an offense around starting power forward of Clark and Aiton uh, would prove challenging. So I don't know. It's just that would be my guess as to where that comes yeah. from. I also think I think Hunter's a really good fit for Phoenix. He's just not the sexiest name. Uh, and, and so for some reason, you know, we just have kind of been avoiding the topic. Yeah. And Clark also is not. I mean, Clark's going to turn 23 years old. And I, I know you mentioned he's more of a, a traditional four or whatever, but he measured six eight with a six eight wingspan at two hundred and seven pounds. Those are wing measurements, and so he also not only does he have those wing measurements, but he doesn't shoot jumpers. So uh, there are definitely question marks about Clark um, and, and and his fit next to Aiton and in that lineup. I would love Clark in that six man energy role when Aiton comes out of the game. You bring in Clark uh, to just you know go wild just. Uh, you know, run the floor, jump, react. That's his style. Um, but in terms of a starting power forward next to Aiden, I think there are questions uh, a- about Clark and maybe uh, Hunter is the better fit. Now you, on the podcast, Cole talked about the ideal situation for Phoenix is that Jarrett Culver falls to the sixth pick. Uh, he plays the same position technically as Devin Booker, but you guys still thought of him as a good fit. Can you explain why you think he'd be a good fit next to Devin Booker? Yeah, I think Cole was a little higher on the fit than I was. Um, uh, let's see. This year, Culver really improved his playmaking. That's that was a big, uh, big part of his game that he expanded. Last year, he was more of a spot up guy. This year, I think he had more pick and roll ball hunting possessions than anything else. Um, and uh, I think the idea is that you still want Devin Booker to be your primary initiator, and Culver can kind of be that versatile guy who can adapt and play the one or work off the ball playing the two. Plus, he's also a very encouraging defender. Um, so I think when you take in consideration his versatility and potential to defend, 
both the one and two, you say he's a good fit next to Booker. He doesn't need to completely take the ball away from him, uh, but he could also work on the ball and create for teammates as well. And so, you know, it, it does make a little bit of sense there. But one thing with Culver is he's really got to improve his spot up three ball. And this year it dipped to 30% from downtown. He's got a little bit of a hitch on his shot. And uh, he's always been a, a pretty weak free throw shooter, which has been surprising. So there are some questions with him, but I can totally see him just because of how well-rounded he is and, and his ability to defend why you could think he'd be a, a nice fit with Booker. Uh, I do want to spend just a little bit of time before we let you go talking about 32. Um, Mike, unless mm-hmm. you have any other questions about number six, that is. Uh, no, go ahead. Okay, yeah. I mean, just John, are, are there any names that uh, at 32 that just stand out to you as this is a player who'd be a, a good fit with the Phoenix Suns uh, specifically? I love Grant Williams from Tennessee. Um, he, he he pops to me as, first of all, a steal anywhere in the second round. I have him ranked uh, number 17 overall on my big board. But I think he'd just be a – he'd bring that – first of all, the defense first. I think he's an unbelievable defender in terms of anticipating and his IQ. He just totally gets it defensively. And uh, he's really tough and just mature. And he's just going to bring you that, that, uh, that mature – locker room presence that I think Phoenix could use. You know, he's, he's not going to come off as a rookie. He's going to come off as a veteran right away. I think that's something that Phoenix could use along with the defense. Uh, and he's just a very skilled, efficient offensive player, not somebody who's going to waste any possessions on bad shots. He's just going to make the right play at the right time. And at 32, you're not looking for a star. You're just looking for a rotation player. And I think that's a guy who can come in and contribute right away and really just give you good value. Um, not just on his rookie deal, but long term, I could totally see him in the league for 10, 15 years doing the same thing he does uh, from year one to year 15. Yeah, I'd be a huge fan of that as well. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, now, I do, do just have one more thing. Since we talked about the trade value being so low, I think the highest likelihood is that the Suns keep the pick. If you had to guess right now who that pick would be, uh, based on what you know right now, who do you think it would be? Oof, I'm going with uh, Cam Reddish, I think. Oh. I think that's who they end up taking. Um, <laughs> just going down, I mean, just, I, I'm, I'm assuming, right now I, I have Garland going at four, and I think Cleveland would take Jared Culver. And so you're looking at who's left, and like I talked about before, teams just typically take the younger, uh, the younger guy um, when you're looking at similar players. And I think they might see more upside in a guy like Reddish. Uh, over DeAndre Hunter and uh, and I don't know if they're going to be willing to reach on Kobe White at number six. So that would be my bet. But again, it's so unpredictable. My confidence level uh, in my reddish prediction isn't particularly high. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Everyone, make sure to go subscribe to The Lottery, an excellent podcast that the Suns fans will probably need uh, for the next few years uh, to, to learn about exactly what's going to happen with this team. Make sure to follow Jonathan at NBA Draft Wasis, W-A-S-S. You can find him, Jonathan Wasserman, on Twitter. You're probably already following him right now. So thank you so much, Jonathan. All right. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. Coming up, some more talk about Spencer Dinwiddie, D'Angelo Russell, Lonzo Ball, and more. But first, when you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keeps your customers happy. 
And right now, Timeline listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk, and you can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, and then enter the promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. Big thanks to... Jonathan Wasserman for coming on. That was an excellent interview. He gave us a lot of insight, a lot of interesting things to think about. Uh, And then some news came out. We actually recorded this uh, yesterday, and then the Jarrett Culver news came out today, and that is that, according to Sports Illustrated, the Suns are extremely high on drafting Jarrett Culver. So we did talk about Jarrett Culver with Jonathan Wasserman. He does not expect Jarrett Culver to be available to the Suns at the sixth pick which is interesting for a few reasons. One, it sucks because Jared Culver is a good player. Uh, two, it could be interesting if he does actually end up at six, then we kind of have a clearer picture of who the Suns are taking. Uh, he seems to be a good fit, an interesting fit because he's a shooting guard. Do you think there's any chance, Sam, that maybe the Suns look to move up? Do we have any assets to move up to try and take Jared Culver, or do you think it's even worth it? I don't think they move up for Jared Culver. I think Jared Culver, if he falls to six, is absolutely the best prospect you can take. Um, But if the cards don't fall that way, you know, you heard John talking about this as a guy with a limited ceiling. I think uh, Jared Culver is a prospect that probably the appeal of him is that he can become a borderline star. Uh, You know, I I tend to avoid overusing the pro comparisons, but the comparison that people have been throwing out there for months about Jared Culver is Chris Middleton. And if he becomes, you know, not exactly the type of player that Chris Middleton is, but a Chris Middleton-esque player, like a borderline reserve all-star, it's a good player in the best case scenario, but it's not worth fussing over with trying to trade multiple assets, you know, the way you did with, for instance, when the Suns traded up to get a guy like Marquise Chris a couple years back. It's not worth trying to move up one or two spots for that. Um, If Culver isn't there, there are other prospects that are there that would be decent fits with Phoenix that we can uh, consider instead. How painful was it for you to hear that Cam Reddish is the most likely option? (laughs) Yeah, I'm just terrified of Cam Reddish because on the one hand, he does kind of fit with our offense, right? But on the other hand, he's just the prospect that you least expect the sons of all teams to be able to develop. And yeah, he's just he's so bad at basketball right now uh that i there's just so many other three and d players that i would rather i just don't want to spend the sixth pick on a guy who very well could turn out to just be a three and d player nothing more um but i guess that rolls out players like deandre hunter too you know that's kind of what we're dealing with here in the six pick range is a lot of guys who look like role players uh again that's why there was so much appeal about culver potentially being a guy who could rise above that archetype in the nba whereas so many of the uh other guys you know you have people talking about Uh, Garland and White have so many holes. You know, I I know a lot of analysts think Kobe White is probably not uh, really a long-term starting point guard in the NBA. So if he's not a starting point guard, if Brandon Clark is nothing more than an energizing role player, if Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter are three and D wings, uh, then we're really kind of fucked. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. You know, Jonathan Wasserman, I really put him on the spot asking 
to compare what he expected the careers of Brandon Clark and Cam Reddish to be, you know, it was an interesting answer. I just really, it, it really is an interesting thing to me that NBA GMs haven't really adjusted to just taking the guy that could be, is going to clearly be an NBA player for a long time. And they're more willing to take a risk like Cam Reddish. When there's a draft like this, where so many guys are not guarantees, why not take the guy that's a guarantee? I just don't understand the idea of risk. And this is a product, I think, of being a Suns fan at this point, because there's so many risks that this team took uh, with McDonough. You know, Josh Jackson seemed to be the most guaranteed of them, and he ended up being the biggest risk of all. But there was Dragon Bender, there was Marquise Chris. These are guys that you just didn't know, and uh, they didn't end up working out. They're, they're, they were the high potential guys, the risk guys, and it didn't work. So at this point, we've been burned so many times, and we've seen a guy like Mikhail Bridges be successful immediately. It's just hard for me to believe that so many teams are going to pass on Brandon Clark, and he's going to go in the, the teens. Uh, I just don't see that really happening. I think it's more likely he gets picked higher than people expect at this point. Yeah, I don't know. And and that sort of just comes down to what the inside intel is. Um, I, Draft Twitter loves Brandon Clark. I really like Brandon Clark. You know, we heard John talking about the measurements. That's obviously the main criticism of him. Um, and I believe that those are all valid. But I don't know. I just don't know that what draft Twitter thinks is going to happen uh, going into the <laughs> going into the draft and what's actually going to happen is uh, mm-hmm. going to exactly match with each other. There are other prospects as well. Uh, you know, someone like Goga Batadze is probably a big name on a lot of draft Twitter boards in the top five or top 10 prospects. I've seen him. And then I don't think I've seen him picked above like 15 in any mock draft. There's just a big disconnect uh, between those two communities. And I don't know, some of it may be based on scouting experience for guys who have that profession in the NBA. Some of it may be based on just inside intel that we as members of the public don't have access to. And the reality is the draft, and I know people hate hearing this, I'm sure, but the draft is a crapshoot. It's, we don't know what's going to happen. And the idea that people on NBA Twitter think they know everything about this is always a hilarious idea to me because... Uh, we're not close to this process at all. We're not at the combine. We don't get to see these guys in person. We don't get to talk to their coaches. We don't get to interview them. But we have these hardline opinions on who these players are and what they're going to be. My stance on that really is I don't know. I have opinions on who I think the Suns could pick, but you know they're they're just based on what I've seen online, and that's a difficult thing to do. And I think that's the way most people form their opinions. That's why it's so great to have a guy like Wasserman on. He's a lot closer to this process. So shout out to him for joining us. Of course, Sam and I will be recording immediately after the draft, which is next Thursday. We'll have our immediate reactions. We'll talk about what happened. Maybe there's a trade. Maybe the Suns end up with the pick. As you heard, I I think it's more likely we end up taking a guy and keeping him because of the limited trade value in a draft like this at the sixth pick. It's just not that that valuable. Uh, and we'll see what ends up happening. Of course, there's been rumors about Atlanta really valuing Jarrett Culver. Maybe if he does fall, maybe the Suns aren't as interested in him as they're saying. Maybe they look to move that pick and see if they can extract some more assets out of Atlanta, as you heard Wasserman talk about, there's not a huge difference in value between the 6th and the 10th pick at this point. Uh, so maybe they, they look to, to move back and take a guy like Brandon Clark if they think he's going to be available. Who knows? Uh, it's going to be a really interesting draft, so we'll be on, of course, to talk about it immediately. Some other interesting news have has come out over the last uh, few weeks. 
there are some players that are linked to the Suns or could potentially be linked to the Suns. Uh, let's talk about three of them. We're going to talk about D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Lonzo Ball. These three guys have been linked to the Suns for different reasons. Let's talk about D'Angelo Russell first. The Nets made a trade. Uh, the Nets made a cap-clearing trade, a very interesting trade. They got rid of Alan Kraft's contract at the price of a first-round pick. And now they have a straight-up max slot and have the potential to create a second max slot. So Russell and Dinwiddie are sort of tied here. One of the ways they can create a second max slot is uh, renouncing D'Angelo Russell's rights. And that gives them the ability of signing two players. Kyrie Irving has been linked to the Nets. Another way they could potentially clear some cap space is trading Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie has been wilding out on Twitter. (laughs) He is, (laughs) I just love it personally because you don't get, you don't really get to know about uh, players' personalities from other teams when you follow a certain team so closely. And I think with Spencer Dinwiddie, the way he's been interacting with Suns Twitter, the way he's been sort of hinting that he's interested in joining the Suns has been very interesting to me. Uh, these two guys are very good players. They would be massive, massive upgrades for the Suns. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is on a, a steal of a deal. And that's why I don't think it's likely that the Nets get rid of Dinwiddie. I think it's insane to think that Kyrie Irving and D'Angelo Russell can play together. But Sam, what do you think about this whole Nets ordeal? Uh, where do you want me to start with D'Lo or Dinwiddie? <laughs> either one. Uh, either one. Well, okay, so if we're doing the conversation about who would you prefer, I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie, like you said, steal of a deal. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's just it's just a perfect deal. He'd be making $10.6 million the next season, $11.4 million the season after, and then he has a player, player option. That's a much better proposition to me than paying D'Angelo Russell, who, you know, albeit he had a good season, but is still kind of an unproven commodity, especially when it comes to making true winning impact. Uh, the way that a guy like Devin Booker is an unproven commodity. Um, paying Dinwiddie 10 million makes a lot more sense to me than paying D'Lo 25 million. <laughs> so, right. uh, yeah, if the Suns can find a way to trade for Spencer Dinwiddie, I mean, the Nets are 3 million and change, I think, away from creating that second max cap slot. Trading Spencer Dinwiddie just straight up for the sixth pick. And you you could argue for the Suns if you want more than that or if the Nets are going to want more than that on either side. But just training him straight up for the sixth pick creates that $3 million, uh that's necessary for the Nets because the sixth pick has a starting cap slot of a few million less than $10 million. So that right there, I mean, it's definitely an option for Phoenix and I think a really appealing one. Uh, you mentioned on Twitter that Suns fans are overrating Spencer Dinwiddie's defense. That's definitely mm-hmm. true. And and neither of these guys would be good defenders. So I really think when we talk about them, it just comes down to playmaking um, and shooting. And I think Spencer Dinwiddie is as a playmaker and as a shooter and as just a creative talent in the backcourt next to Devin Booker uh, is much better of a steal uh, per, to, based on his contract than D'Lo would be. Do you see the thing is, is D'Angelo Russell is 23. Spencer Dinwiddie is 26. 
And see, the the problem is, is if you do get Spencer Dinwiddie, you get him for two years. If you do get D'Angelo Russell, you could potentially pair him up with Devin Booker for the next four or five years, or or potentially longer if he if he enjoys his time here. I mean, these are two guys that are essentially best friends that could potentially play together. Now, part of me wonders if that's a good or a bad thing to to pair up these two guys together who probably like to party a lot in the off season. It, it, it would worry me a little bit to put them together, but I do think that there are benefits to that because it's likely that they would. Uh, want to be competitive together. They want to win together. You can look at guys like, of course, LeBron and, and Wade and, and and see how they motivated each other. But I just wonder, you know, maybe we're undervaluing D'Angelo Russell's ability to improve based on his age. Do you think that's the case at all? It's definitely possible. Make no mistake with what I said a minute ago. D'Angelo Russell would still be one of the best case scenarios for the Suns this summer. That's absolutely true. I'm a huge fan of, of, well, maybe not a huge fan, but I'm absolutely a fan of bringing him on. It's just a money conversation. And it's, if you, it's the Portland problem. If you devote that money to your backcourt, like Portland did with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, the Suns still have a wide open hole of power forward. And where exactly are you going to solve that? You know, suddenly you don't have the cap space uh, anymore to solve that issue. So you need to rely on some team maybe being interested in Josh Jackson or TJ Warren and being willing to give you a, a good power forward that can, first of all, has to be good defensively. Um, but can really play well in the playoffs around that young core of players. I just think that that's, there's too many moving variables there, and that's so not a given uh, that it would be a little bit more risky. And Dinwiddie is appealing because he gives you that added flexibility. On the other hand, we're the Phoenix Suns. Who the hell are we going to sign with added flexibility mm-hmm. in the first place? Mm-hmm. And I think a lesson to learn from this as well is that the Nets, it cost the Nets that pick to clear cap space. They had to trade a pick. Uh, along with Alan Crabb to clear that space, and and they got a they got Prince back, which is actually a relatively good player for them in their system, and and it, you know if the Suns wanted to clear cap space enough to be able to potentially sign D'Angelo Russell and still have some flexibility to sign a power forward, it's going to be a first round pick that they're going to have to send out uh, with maybe a guy like uh, T.J. Warren or Tyler Johnson to clear that cap space. And, uh, you know, that's the price of it at this point. That's that's just what we've learned from this trade. So it's an interesting thing. I think, you know, Tyler Johnson has some trade value at this point because he's a massive expiring deal. If there's a team that wants to clear up space after next season, that's not the worst way to do it. He still hasn't picked up his option, by the way. I can't imagine he wouldn't, but he yeah, still the, hasn't done that. What the hell is up with that? Like, I don't know who he's talking to. I he's wonder what's going on. Any day now, he's going to pick yeah. it up. Supposedly, Monty likes him. I don't really believe that. That might be a smokescreen. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, what is he going to say if he's asking exactly. <laughs> Well, he brought it up, not even announced. This was on Arizona Sports. Um, and no one asked, and he still brought up that he liked Tyler. Um, but I think even that may have been an orchestrated move on his part alongside James Jones. Well, I think that coaches probably do like Tyler Johnson. I, I will say because he's a competitive dude. He plays hard. And, uh, you know, he's just he's just not worth his contract. And, uh, you know, a lot of coaches, that doesn't matter. At a certain point, they're on your team and you just evaluate them for what they provide on the court. And I think Tyler Johnson in a backup role is a is a good player. He's a good player as, as far as bringing that energy, bringing that hustle. And he's the type of guy that you want on a team when you're coaching because you can point at him and say, he's not perfect, but look at the effort he's putting in. Uh, so I can see how a coach would enjoy him if they're just not evaluating him at his price. Uh, but the other guy we wanted to talk about in this conversation is Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball is different. Uh, Lonzo Ball is a player that could be included in a trade. There's been some interesting rumors about 
Anthony Davis at this point. And that's the only reason to bring up Lonzo Ball because supposedly David Griffin has laid out some ideas for what he wants uh, in an Anthony Davis trade. And part of that included potentially bringing in a third team to help provide some assets that he's not getting from the Lakers. Now, they didn't say from the Lakers, but that's got to be what it is. Because if he's dealing with the Lakers, he knows what they're offering. And he's saying, that's not what I want. And they're probably looking at potentially bringing in the third team. There's a lot of Suns fans are looking at this and saying, there's a chance that we could provide an asset like the sixth pick and uh, potentially get Lonzo Ball from that. I know you have some thoughts on this, Sam. What do you think? It would be the sixth pick, and you take it in in a heartbeat. I think some Suns fans are still holding out on this. Guys, I I don't get it. Sixth pick for Lonzo makes a lot of sense. If you just look at – I'm going to ignore the last couple of drafts, Mo Bamba and Jonathan Isaac, because uh, I think it's too early in their careers to really make any judgments on what what sort of players they're going to turn out to be. But if you look at the 10 drafts before them, here are the guys who were taken sixth overall. Buddy Heald, Willie Cauley-Stein, Marcus Smart, Nerlens Noel, Damian Lillard, Jan Vesely, Ekbe Udo, Johnny Flynn, Danilo Gallinari, and Yi Jianlian. So, by my count, we have one superstar in Damian Lillard. We've got two pretty good above-average starters in Buddy Heald and Danilo Gallinari. We've got two guys who are, yeah, fine in Marcus Smart and Willie Cauley-Stein, and then five busts. You know, guys who maybe could stick around playing 10 minutes per game. Nerlens Noel plays 10 minutes per game for the Thunder, but he's still a bust uh, relative to the sixth overall pick. Lonzo is at the minimum right smack in the average of those five outcomes, right? Like he's already in the Marcus Smart, Willie Colley Stein tier. I think it's very, very likely that he goes into the Buddy Heald, Danilo Gallinari tier. Like he will be a good starter for a long, long time. So you can take the home run swing on a guy like Damian Lillard, that just doesn't make much sense in a draft where all of the experts, you just heard it from John, everyone is saying you're not going to find the Damian Lillard at the sixth overall pick uh, mm-hmm. in this particular draft class. I mean, there's there's always a chance of it. There's a possibility that, you know, we're just not seeing what the scouts are seeing. You know, guys like Giannis and Rudy Gobert went late in the draft and they ended up being the best players out of that 2013 draft class. So obviously it's always possible, but it just feels like, you go with the sure bet. Like if you have a chance to get your point guard next to Devin Booker, who checks a lot of the boxes of what we need, uh, not the shooting, but absolutely the playmaking and the defense, and you don't have to put up with the headache of choosing between all of these kind of similarly shitty prospects this year, it, it's that is a clear yes to me. And uh, I don't understand why some Suns fans are still holding out. I completely agree. I think Lonzo should be very high on the list of potential point guards for the Phoenix Suns, and I think he would be a good fit. I've talked a lot about how I feel about guys like Lonzo Ball, and I think their value is difficult to to fully measure in their direct box score stats because of the infectious nature of guys who enjoy passing, guys who move the ball down the floor quickly, guys who tend to not hold on to the ball. Is he an absolute perfect fit? No. No, he's not an absolute perfect fit, but we're not going to get an absolute perfect fit. I think a lot of Suns fans have to come to this realization. Julius, Whether it's Julius Randle, D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Lonzo Ball, regardless of who, who the player is, every single one of those guys I just mentioned is an upgrade on our roster. They would be better than the players that we played in the last few years. There is not going to be a perfect fit. We just need to improve. Improving is a step in the right direction. Whatever the final form of this team is, 
is going to be when uh, Devin Booker reaches his prime, when DeAndre Ayton gets close to his prime, is not going to be what it is next year. This team needs to improve to keep guys like Devin Booker happy and to, to continue collecting assets to potentially move for players in the future. Al Jefferson turned into Kevin Garnett. Uh, there there are lots of players that turned into better players in the future. Ivan Kevin Martin, Martin turned, into, turned into... Yeah, James Harden. I mean, the, these are guys that we know about that turned into better players in the future. The, it's not a guarantee that these are constantly going to be the players on the team a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, whatever it's going to be. We just need to improve to get better over time. And I think... Suns fans should probably temper their expectations a little bit because, uh, you know, Kevin Durant's not coming here and and he probably ruptured his Achilles anyway. Who even wants him? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we'll see what happens and it's going to be an interesting, the next time we record, Sam, it's going to be very interesting. We're going to get a clearer picture of what this team's going to look like and we recently got a clearer picture of what the coaching staff is going to look like. Let's quickly cover that. We talked a little bit about it in the last time we recorded. Steve Blake, yes, that's Steve Blake, as we as we said about him. He did join the coaching staff. Randy Ayers, who we talked about, joined the coaching staff. Mark Bryant, who we talked about, joined the coaching staff. We finally got some sort of confirmation on Willie Green. Willie Green is a current coach, assistant coach for the Golden State Warriors, joined the coaching staff. And now we hear that Darko Rayakovich, I'm going to assume that's how we pronounce his name here, from OKC, has also joined the coaching staff. The thing is about every coach I just mentioned is that they all work on teams that just made the playoffs. This is huge. This is awesome for a team like the Suns to have. It's a coaching staff full of players that understand the modern NBA. They understand how to win, and they understand the playoffs. Um, one interesting fact, Rayakovich was the head coach of the Tulsa 66ers, the NBA Developmental League, for a few seasons, and he's the first head coach in the NBA G League born outside of North America. So he is the Igor Kokoskov of the NBA G League. So shout out to him there. Any thoughts on this coaching staff? Sam? Well, that's an awesome fun fact. Uh, and <laughs> and maybe has doomed his career before it's even begun at the NBA level. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hear about how people can't understand him. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. I, I would just echo your sentiments. It's a really good sign that they all, um, I almost said play, that they all coach playoff teams. Uh, how much can we really correlate to them specifically as the reason those teams are successful? Probably not a lot from our perspective, yeah. and that's why I'll, we have no idea. Yeah, I'll hold out on saying anything crazy, but it's definitely a good sign. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in this draft because the, the coaching staff, staff has taken shape. The team is about to start taking shape, and and it's not too long after that to get into free agency. These next few weeks are going to be fascinating. This is one of the most interesting. This is the Suns playoffs, as I like to call it, because <laughs> we don't we we don't have the playoffs. We have uh, our only opportunities to get better are free agency and the draft, and those two things happen in the next two weeks. It's going to be a fascinating two weeks, and I'm really looking forward to it. Last thing. We debuted a segment on our last episode that we recorded called Cold Take of the Week. So what we decided to do is uh, end the podcast with that segment. So here we go. The cheese is cold. <laughs> For our one-year anniversary, 
we decided to call out ourselves. We are not perfect. As you guys know, you've listened to the podcast. We get things wrong all the time. So what we did, Sam, thank you for doing this, by the way, is we created a montage of some of our worst takes on this podcast, and we're going to end the podcast with that. How do you feel about that, Sam? I feel fucking great about it. We're stupid all the time. Uh, Let's never forget that. And, you know, this is the sort of stuff that you have to do to uh, make yourself feel better, that you're not another Nate uh, Nate Duncan or Danny LaRue. Because they wouldn't do this, uh, we're more than <laughs> call ourselves out, admit we were wrong, and uh, it's always it's always going to be like that. <laughs> Thank you for everyone who's listened to us in the last year. If you've never rated or reviewed us on your podcast app, I really would appreciate if you did that right now. It's been an awesome year. I really appreciate everyone who's talked to us, interacted with us online, listened to us in this podcast, hit us up on Reddit or whatever you've done. We really appreciate you guys. So take a listen. Here's us. In this week's cold take of the week. Right? I don't think we're going to make the playoffs, but I do think there are going to be a lot fewer blowouts. And I think we're going to, you know, maybe get into that 30, 35, maybe even up to 40 win range with a guy like Trevor Reza, who's a good vet. Uh, and maybe it convinces other vets to start considering the Suns next year when, again, because this was only a one year deal, we're going to have cap space again. And. It means Trevor Reza's in a contract year just by default. He only has a one-year contract. That means, you know how, how players play on a contract year. They play hard because they're playing for their paycheck. They're playing for their basketball lives. <laughs> First game is over, and it was phenomenal. Sam Cooper, how are you doing? I'm feeling great, Mike, and I'll, I'll put it like this. The last three opening nights for the Phoenix Suns, this team lost by 48 points, 19 points, and 16 points respectively. How good does it feel to be on the other end of things for once? That was an absolute best-case scenario tonight against the Mavericks. It was really fun, and it was great that it was on national TV. Now, I'm actually thinking now ESPN and TNT has to be kind of kicking themselves after watching Devin Booker really having a coming-out performance with actual teammates around him, thinking, why didn't we put this team on more national TV games? Because what Devin Booker just did in the fourth quarter, we have been watching for a while. It's just... It didn't always translate into wins. When you surround him with teammates that can actually complement his skill set, it turns into wins. Is there a team in the NBA, maybe besides the Hawks, that are going to be worse than the Kings? Uh, no. Well, probably not, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't see it. I think they're the worst team in the NBA, maybe the second worst team in the NBA. I think that the Hawks are clearly trying to lose. And the Kings are not. I think they might actually owe their pick to the Celtics if it falls into a certain range. I don't know that they own their pick next year. Uh, Actually, I don't think they do. So I I think they're going to be trying to win much more than the Hawks. And that alone means that they probably will have a better record than the Hawks. But I don't know that they're... They're they're one of the worst teams in the league, definitively. And I I don't think that the Suns are anymore. To me, I think it's clear that Ryan Anderson is a better power forward than Brandon Knight is a point guard. Do you agree? I Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And the expectation for Dragon Bender is that he's going to improve. So I'm setting the over-under uh, on that one at 38.5%. So it's about a 2% uh, increase and a pretty high percentage for Dragon Bender for this season. You know, you can basically set it up like some sort of logic proof. The Suns add more shooters. Shooters create spacing. Spacing creates open looks for everybody. Open looks leads to the three-point shooters raising their three-point percentages. So I don't know. I mean, I think 
the the looks that we're going to get on offense drawn up by Igor are just going to be better. I'd like to believe that Dragon Bender can shoot 40% from three. It would make me very happy, uh, especially because at this point, that's his one big skill to fall back on. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.